Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. So, we're going through this place chapter by chapter, and, uh, you know, we, we kind of like airplane view of a chapter, but we have to dive down into one particular part as we go through it. You know, so we remember that in uh, 609 B.C., we see Israel being invaded and captured by Babylon, and over the next periods of time, slowly, but they just kept gaining access and more and more until they conquered it. And then they had people that went off into exile in Babylon, and we're focusing in on Daniel and his, his three friends, and they were pulled aside because they were the top of the top, and they ended up becoming the people who were the wise people that they went in, and God showed them favor, and they, they basically stole them from their home. They're only teenagers, but they ended up becoming 10 times wiser than the rest of the, the trainees at that time for the three-year period. So if you can imagine this, is, here we are, Daniel. We, we often think of Daniel, and often we have, there's a kind of a Sunday school version of Daniel, and that's he's good-looking, strong, super smart, and can stand up to kings. You know, and you need to be a Daniel, right? And I think that's really a, a bad way of looking at Daniel. Daniel was a teenager, but he loved God, and he knew God was on him. He knew who God was. And as a teenager, what he knew was Deuteronomy 6, 4, 6, 4 and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. And I think when we look at Daniel, you know, the, the place about it is, is that it, he knew that he was called to love one, the one God. <laughs> and so that's what he was going to do. And he knew that, and he lived according to that. And so if you, if you look at Daniel, I think probably the thing I'd say about Daniel, he is an amazing model, but the, the hero is in the king that he's under. It's this place of this wise and powerful and good king. And so we see Daniel, the reason that we look at Daniel, and, and, and let me just simplify this, the reason that Daniel has been torn away from his home and has been, left his family and is stuck in a, a culture that really has tremendous evil and a very uh, raging king that he's under. And the reason he's actually able to flourish in that is because he's under a different rule and reign. That's it. It's not because of his circumstances. It's not by the perks the king gave him. It's not by his good looks. It's not by his strength. It's that he is under king and he's remaining faithful. And so... As we go through this, what I want us to be looking at, particularly because we can look at a lot of things in this chapter, it's, it's relatively long, but we're going to focus on, begin paying attention to the contrast of Nebuchadnezzar and the king, okay, God. Compare the different kingdoms as we go through it, as we read it. And so, again, putting it into context, you have to understand, the people... We, we often, often, another thing that happens oftentimes is when you hear about Daniel, 
you forget about the rest of the Jewish nation. It's all about these three, right? But you have to understand, the rest of the Jewish nation have been through so much already. I mean, the Jewish nation was divided into a southern kingdom and then to the northern kingdom. And so two tribes were left in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom went up and they got overtaken already. So we're down from 12 to 2. And in that, they were, they were really having struggles with idolatry and, and worshiping the Canaanite gods, even in the southern kingdom. And so it's not, there's a lot of pain. And now they have been overtaken. The temple has been ransacked. And they are in exile. And so, you know, as we look at that, we, we start recognizing, well, Wow. If you think about what it would be like at this time if you were the average Jewish person who is somewhat nominal. Everything has collapsed around you. You're just surviving. But we look at Daniel and he's thriving. So I've asked Chris Mackey, who's a good reader, to bring his Bible up, but he brought his phone instead. I'm just teasing. Chris, come on up. I'm going to have him read this, this passage, and I'll flip the, I'll do the hard thing. I'll flip the, the words as we go through it. This is relatively long, but Chris will keep our interest perfectly. <laughs> Won't you? There you go. So, <laughs> now as we go through this, as Chris is reading, put yourself into this story and just kind of pitch yourself. God's word is powerful. Just reading God's word. Pay attention to if something stands out. And say, God, what, do you, what does it stand out to me? Okay, go ahead, Chris. I'm going to have him pause in just a short period of time because we can't read the whole thing. Chris, you can start in just a second. <laughs> we're going to actually have a spot where we're going to... We're going to have a spot where you have him pause. And I'll just like say, pause, Chris. And then, we'll, and then I'll say a few things and I'll let you continue on. Are we clear? I will not interrupt from here on out, except for my pause. Continue on. Check, check. Okay. In In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So, tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. 
The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friend, friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the, to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in Him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. Pause. Uh, so we're not going to go over the dream, even though is a, that could be a whole other series. Uh, but we're going to go over the dream in just a, in a broad way, and you can look at later at how. But it basically gives this dream, a very vivid dream of this mass, huge uh, statue that he sees, and he begins he begins talking about this these things becoming destroying those things. To then the wind comes and blows it away, and he begins going into great detail. And the, the overall view of what he's talking about, he's saying to the king, is your kingdom is going to cease, another kingdom's and it's going to be washed away. There'll be other kings that will come, and other kings will come, but then there'll be another final kingdom that will last for an eternity. Speaking of the kingdom of God and with the the, the king, and so he has he explains that, and he explains the, the detailed vision, and he continues on from here. We'll, we'll start, pick it up in forty-five. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future, 
the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Thank you, Chris. When I go to heaven, I'm going to read just like that. That's my thing. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, you know, as we go through that story, I want to, I want to just to, uh, say a couple things. Is what we see in this is this contrast of kings. And this is an amazing story you may have heard many different times if you were raised in church. But uh, I want to just kind of go through a little bit and just break down a little bit to just kind of remind us. First off is, it starts out with the king is just troubled. He's had these nightmares, basically. <laughs> these things that have been troubling to him, and they're very vivid, and so he couldn't sleep, and he's just disturbed. You guys ever had that where you've had, there's, there's lots of different dreams that we have. You know, we have, uh, I've had many dreams that God has spoken to. Throughout history, God speaks through dreams. And it's very common throughout all the Bible, Old Testament and New, we see dreams happening, God speaking to them. It, but there's like, you know, there's a strange dream, you know, like uh, you can't figure out why you're, you know, uh, in your underwear, walking down the street with a grizzly bear next to you. You know, those kings, those are usually not God. Those are just like clearing out the, 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 your brain. There's other times you just process of dreaming, but there's these times in which something becomes very vivid and you kind of know there's something to this. And so you have to understand he's a very uh, spiritual person. He has many gods. He has his own god house with all the idols in there. And so he knows there's something spiritual to this and it was shaking him up. And so he began saying, I, I, I want to make sure that what this dream is. Now, dream, God can speak many things in dreams. He can speak warnings. He can speak future things. He can speak encouragement. He can speak direction. Lots of things. Uh, but also we have times that dreams we have are really not, they're, they're spiritual, but they're the wrong kind. We wake up, we know those two as well. And we go, oh, that was spiritual, but that wasn't God. And so probably he's not sure what this is, but he can't sleep because of it. And so he wants a clear interpretation of this. And he, and he, and he, doesn't, he has this unreasonable request. Like, I want, you know, give me something to work with, they're saying. You know, they brings all the wise, his wise people, his wise men in. They say, give me something to work with. No. You know, usually can, can you imagine what they felt like? Like, oh, we're in trouble. Oh, we're in so much trouble. Let's try again. No. And then he goes on, and what we see is we start seeing his response to this. Not a good boss. Uh, this is why I finally decided, basically. You know? If you don't tell me a dream and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your house is turned to a pile of rubble. And if you tell me your dream and explain it, you'll receive gifts and rewards for great honor. Wow, right? 
It's interesting in this is that very familiar in there you see two things in here that the king uses his authority to bring fear and to promise things for that person. False promises of I'll give you this stuff. That's the only way he's trying to motivate the people who are part of his kingdom. And so then we go on to talk about, he says, they say, you know, no one can do this. And I think this is just an interesting little line here. Except the gods, because in the, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, you'll see all the time as you read the Old Testament, in this prophecy of the dreams, it's pointing to Jesus and his kingdom. And then there's just a little shout out to Jesus here because just to set up the, the whole thing of God's power coming through his kingdom, where he says, yeah, only a God, gods could interpret this. No human could. And by the way, we know that gods do not live among humans because they don't know that kind of a king, right? And so it goes on, and then the king goes to another level. And have you ever seen, have you ever had someone who rages so much they begin destroying the very things that they need, right? And so this is what happens. He, he becomes, he orders, he becomes enraged and furious, and he says, kill everybody who are my wise men. The people he just invested the three years in, the people he's been raising up, the people who are an authority over places in this kingdom, he says, execute them. And then now what we see, and then Daniel finds out like this is happening, and he says, what's happening? So he begins asking for time, and he ends up getting the time, and he approaches the king, explains it, and he says, I will interpret the dream. <laughs> All right? And he goes in and he says, he explains the matter, but right afterwards, if you can imagine what Daniel felt at this point, like, this is what you call like stepping off, stepping out, right? He's like, I'm going to interpret the dream. He does not have the interpretation of the dream. So what does he do? Something very smart. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are actually quite motivated because they're going to be killed too and Daniel's going to be killed. And he said, this would be a really good time to pray. <laughs> and they prayed and they pleaded and they asked for God's mercy and then this amazing thing happened. In the middle of the night, Daniel gets this vision, and he sees what the king saw, and he understands it. It just clicks. God shows him. He's so confident. This is the answer. And I want you to notice Daniel's response. Praise be the name of our God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He, re he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows that what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. He's describing who the king is. And as we look at this, is that Daniel goes on, and he goes to the king, and explains to him, and I want you to notice how Daniel sets this up. Like, this is what you call confidence, that God has spoken to you. He goes, Daniel replied, by the way, I'm here to give you the interpretation, to tell you the dream and the interpretation, and I want to set it up like this. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or uh, diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. <laughs> That's how he starts out. No one can do this. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. 
And so, and then as he begins talking about all these things that, were, that he's going to, before he talks about, he says, this mystery has been revealed to me, and he makes it really clear, not because I have great wisdom or uh, wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went on through your mind. And so then he begins giving this detailed version of all that took place in this dream. And if you can imagine being Nebuchadnezzar, actually listening to this and hearing all these things that he's been thinking about said in great detail and then with confidence sensing God's presence coming in and saying, and this is what it means for your kingdom. Here's the kingdom to come, but there's a larger kingdom that's coming that is not of man, that will be eternal. And as he, he, as he listens to this, he goes on and says, and the king Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and ordered him, he gave him offerings. So if you can imagine, after he hears this, he literally begins worshiping God and trying giving honor to Daniel. Now, this is a pretty amazing story. And he places Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in charge of all kinds of the kingdom. He goes to another level of authority and favor. So, as we look at this, there's a, look at the contrast in the kings. And as we go through it, what I want to talk about a little bit is, is probably what Daniel felt. Think about, okay, just think about being 15 or 16, all right? And you were just the night before freaking out with your best buddies, praying, and God comes through and shows you. First off, you see it's like, this is amazing. And it gets more amazing. So you go in to the, one of the most powerful men in the world, and you're a teenager, the guy who likes to cut people in pieces, and you're talking, and you're saying, this is what my king says. <laughs> this is what God says. This is what the dream, this is where this came from. And you've been laying it out, and then this king is falling on the ground worshiping your God. <laughs> you got to go, this was a good day. I mean, you just went from close to death to you're this person who God is using in this way. And I thought, what would he have been feeling like to be in this position, right? And I thought, I bet you there's a psalm that he might have known that could even reflect what he felt like. And I think this is what, this is what I believe Daniel felt like right after he said, as he's watching this take place and as he's walking to tell his friends, he says, Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praises of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemy to silence the foe of the avenger. You have when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, you have set in, uh, that you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. Can you imagine what that felt like? You think... I can't believe this is, 
God is here. And he's done this thing. A big question that we have to decide is, is God someone we can completely worship? And what we see throughout Scripture, what we see through testimony of us is, yes, He is, because He is such a different king and authority to be under than anything else. Because we understand in Christ, who is the King of kings, the representation of God fully, God in the flesh, we can see even more clearly than Daniel could back there about this kingdom and the king that they're talking about. And the first thing I just say is that when we begin, the reason it's so good to completely submit yourself fully to the king is because of who the king is. <laughs> and I want to just go through a few words that I could have made, you could have made a list, a couple, you know, a couple of pages of these things. I just grabbed a few. This king is eternal. You know, what it shows is the other kings aren't eternal. They, they're temporal. They, 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 you can't, they will not stay. They can't continue on with you. But God is eternal. And so I'm telling you, when you live with that understanding of that you have an eternal king that will never leave you or forsake you, that will always be there, it gives you a whole different way of looking at life on this earth. It gives you a whole different perspective when you're on this earth and everything that you thought should have been isn't. And the pain of life is feeling overwhelming because you can see that God is still working and his kingdom is still advancing. And there'll be a day that you'll be fully in his presence. And so it's a place in which that you understand that your king is actually your heavenly father who will never leave you. And then you get to the place of he's holy. I mean, there's, you, you, if you're trusting your whole self to someone who is flawed, that's pretty scary. <laughs> if you completely yield yourself to him, but, but God is holy, and that means he's pure. He has no faults. There's no darkness, no shadows. He can be fully trusted, and he's righteous. He, he, he does what is right. He never lies. He only speaks truth. And he will always do the best for all the, uh, all the people in his kingdom. He's righteous and he's just. He's fair. In a very unjust world, he's still fair. And I think the one that I want to kind of lean in a little bit is this place of he's sovereign. You know, sovereignty is kind of hard to describe. It's not a Bible, it's a word that's described, very important word, but it's not something you can just pull out of Scripture. It's, it's understanding of the characteristic of God. A couple definitions. He has ulti- he's the ultimate source of power and authority over everything that exists. He's the ultimate source of power and authority over everything that exists. 
The sovereignty of God is the fact that He is the Lord over creation. As sovereign, He exercises His rule. This rule is exercised through God's authority as King, and He is in control over all things. So, if that was like too much theology to get in your brain in a short time, here's how you narrow it down to the simplest way. He's in control. Isn't that the question we have? Is, is it out of control? <laughs> and you think, yeah, it feels like it is. But when you understand that God is sovereign, no matter what you're facing, you know He's good, He's loving, He's just, He's fair. He's righteous, He's eternal, and He's in control. And then we look at the characteristics of this king who is defined by love, defined by mercy, a little bit different than Nebuchadnezzar is that he's like, he actually is filled with mercy. He's approachable. We can come boldly into his throne of grace. And he's in places, and he's humble. In other words, he is, doesn't, he comes to the place of even laying his life down for us. And he is kind, and he is filled with grace. And, and this other part of the king is this. He's a king that we're actually not separated from. I mean, in the world, the more power and authority, the further away you are. But God is the opposite. He is somebody who we are joined to the king. We aren't just a subject that is not joined or uh, just somebody to serve the needs of the king. We are actually part of the king, and we are part of his kingdom. And so the words we use all the time around here talking about this place that our relationship with God is to this place of intimacy in which it's like a child and, and a parent. It is like a bride and a groom, it's like a citizen of a kingdom that has all the authority of that kingdom that's backing them. We are a royal priesthood of holy nation, and we are actually his body. This is our kingdom. We're, we're a part of him. So I say that because, you know, if you've been around, you know what the message of Jesus is, is love him and worship him above all else right? And what's important to understand is that that message is because if you do, you're, you're made for this. You're made to be under the rule and the reign of the king. What we watch in, if in the story of Daniel, we watch all the way through Scripture, is a place that God is calling us to worship. God, as one God, and worship is, is not just singing the song, that's part of it, it's a place that we have chosen to fully submit ourselves to God, to love Him, to trust Him above us, to praise Him and give Him glory, to bow down to Him and submit our whole selves to Him, to serve, obey Him, to put Him above all else right? And so, we see all the way through Scripture, there's this one 
very straightforward theme that we see over and over again. And it starts in, in Deuteronomy in the Ten Commandments. So here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Again, one God, one true God. You shall love him, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then we move fast forward all the way up into, and this is what we see over and over and over again. And we see all the things that always took to places of people being pulled away from God is all these other gods that they begin mixing in. And then we look at Jesus, who is in his greatest temptation, and he's modeling for us how do we live and how does he fight the devil. He says to the devil when he tempts him to bow down to him, he said, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. He just spoke scripture. Now, I say that because I believe that we're at a spot that this is going to be a very big deal, is who is it that you worship? And, you know, as we look, and again, I'm not a, I'm not a, I have some prophetic gifting, but I don't dare to say I know what's coming in the future. But I do believe there's, gonna, there's some big shifting happening. <laughs> and as a pastor, one of the things that I have the greatest burden on is when the shaking and shifting happens more and more and more in our culture, do we, as citizens of the kingdom, are we going to be able to stay faithful to Jesus? That's, and are we going to be able to worship one God and serve Him above all else? Are we going to be able to not turn to other things, right? And so, this is something that some of you are saying, yeah, that's kind of ABCs. I know this, I've heard this. I'm just saying is, this is foundational. Is in the Bible over and over again, God keeps taking us, you're made for this. You are made to worship. So the starting place on worship is to understand that you are going to worship something. It's our DNA. We will find something to worship. And it could be ourselves, it could be other things, but we are not designed to worship anything fully yielding ourselves to and trusting ourselves above all other than the one true God. And everything else it will take us away from that. So, when we look at Daniel, what I want us to think about is like, if we're made to worship, the question is, what reign and rule do you want to be under? The world's reign and rule or this amazing, loving God's reign and rule? And yet, there's a tremendous battle that takes place. And so, what I want us to do is, I want us just to reflect on that kind of as our, our uh, invitation just reflect on how good God the King is and then yield yourself to Him. Now, here's what's great about this. Maybe you're still in the battle and you've got, you got a, kind of this whole storeroom of gods. <laughs> you have lots of things you turn to. He is the God who gives you the power to be able to keep moving towards faithfulness towards Him. Right? And so, first off, yield yourself and decide, okay, God, let... let God, reflect 
on how good God is and ask God to show you anything that you worship other than Him and turn from that God. Now that sounds like a big chore, but with God's help, He wants to do that today. He wants to have you begin deciding that now. We don't want to wait till we get to the place of being in the middle of the storm and decide this question. We have to get that deep inside of us. And, and, and here's what I think. Every time Daniel had one of these moments with God, his faithfulness became easier and easier and easier because he knew God was better and better than he even thought. 